out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the singer, artist and writer, Annie Haslam, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff. Um, is in the band Renaissance that we all loved during the 70s but has had a prolific career and is still doing stuff right up to this very day. Also, she appears on a box set that's just come out in November 2023 on the work of John Wheaton. This is an eight-CD box set called uh, An Extraordinary Life that's just come out. So this is the interview with Annie. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to various bits and pieces to try and establish what we're going to talk about, which is very exciting. Anyway, we begin by um, me asking her really where she lives. And then from then on, you'll get the gist of the interview, but it's fascinating. So um, sit back, relax, enjoy. Annie, tell us, tell us where you live and much more. No, I'm, um, I live in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is north of Philadelphia. And Oscar Hammerstein, who wrote South Pacific, this house is five minutes away from here. And um, Moss Hart and Kitty Carlisle, all these, a lot of famous composers from the 50s and 60s live, lived around here, you know, the musicals, big musical people. Yes. Yes. Well, look, because I obviously this is talking about the box set, isn't it? We're talking about our <laughs> incredible box set. But just a little bit of a background. Do you want to be able to just um, firstly... Just, I, I suppose I'm just trying to work out whether to sort of ask a bit about your, so what what position you are with, with John, or or just talk about John and the box set, which because no, I didn't no, know. No, no, no. There's, there's a bigger there's a bigger picture to this, so it would be silly just to talk about the box set. Although the box set is phenomenal and made me cry when I opened it. Yes, um, well I can see. I, I well, uh, it, oh, and I never realised um, uh, uh, that he was such a prolific writer i mean a big main I mean, it sounds a bit ignorant but you know when we were traveling with our respective bands in the 70s you know you you, you rehearse uh you record you tour and it's constant we were constantly on the road constantly recording constantly so you don't really have much time to get into what other people are doing you usually end up thinking, oh, God, if we had a day off, we could have gone and seen Slade or we could have gone see Queen or whatever, but you're travelling, you don't. So, you, And you're following these people all around the country, usually at the venues, you know what I mean? Yes, this is then, true, actually. Sometimes, though, it was exciting when we all stopped at, at the Blue Boar, which was a, a services on the M1. And yes. all the bands... All the bands used to go in there, so usually around two or three in the morning when you've got all your stuff together and you've got out of your gig, and that's where you go there for your, you know, uh, egg and chips, bread and butter, and a cup of tea, something like that. You know what I mean? And it was it was like everybody's up from the gig, so everybody's talking. It's wonderful atmosphere when I think about it. I would imagine so. Yes. that's the only time you'd get to, to meet these people. I remember with the, I go in there and there was, uh, Queen was in the corner there, Freddie Mercury and all that lot. And oh, oh, Slade were on another table, all these different bands, because we weren't really, you know, weren't quite as big then, you know, in the 70s, but, you know, rising, I would say. Um, but yeah, no, that was fantastic. Um, and I, um, of course, the, going on to John now, um, I met John when he joined Renaissance for, for four shows. And um, this was like early 70s. I can't, I mean, I did this every time. I can't think of that. It was either maybe 72, something like that. 
Um, are you going to get that noise on the tape? Is that going to bother no, you? No, that's fine. Absolutely okay. fine. Yeah. Um, and um, so Ed Bicknell, who was, um, you know, Ed from um, Dire Straits, because he managed Dire Straits, but he was also our agent as well. Uh, but he recommended um, John um, to, to come in with us for these four shows that we were doing. He could only do four shows as well, I think. Uh, but he was perfect for it. He looked amazing. His voice was stunning. His, his bass playing was amazing. It, you know, he learned everything. He's a very true professional. And um, and that's the, the first time I'd met him, really. Um, and then uh, we we stayed in touch over the years. Um, I did, um, do you remember the Classic Rock Society had a magazine out? Yes, I do. Paper. Um, and uh, they gave me a, a, a little article that I did um, every month or whatever it was called. And it was called oh, Egg and Chips, Bread and Butter and a Cup of Tea. <laughs> Excellent. And, but, yeah. And so what I did is when I, I would speak to people, but I would get them to um, tell me something that never told anybody else. That's what right. I said. Why don't you promise me you're going to tell me something that you've never told anybody else? You know, and John was was one of the you know one of the one of the. Oh, people. so you go back that far? That's yeah, a, that's right. amazing. Yeah, because well, we, we go back to the seventies. You see, early. Well, 70s. absolutely. Well, that that's amazing because with. It's just kind of, a, I don't know, a bit of a background. I suppose I was born 64, so I'm now in my late 50s. So my kind of early musical awakening was the early 70s of Sweden, Sladen, T-Rex, people like that. But luckily, David Bowie was my first singer and first love. So by that kind of early 70s, you Renaissance had done that first album, which and then you joined on the sort of the back, not back of that, but up for the kind of the next stage, didn't you, at the early 70s? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I joined in 71. Um, and the... Uh, Jim and Keith, Ralph, uh, Jim McCarthy and Keith Ralph started Renaissance in, in 1969. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the problem, they didn't keep it going for all that long, really, because it was special, that's for sure. The first album was amazing because I bought it and learned everything on it before I went to the audition, you know. Um, but uh, they, uh, I think Jim relayed to me that it was... Um, you know they they finished with the Yardbirds. They stopped the Yardbirds, and uh, and then they didn't really take enough time off to relax and just take a, a good break. Uh, they wanted to get back on. I think it was maybe six months later or something like that. I might be wrong, but yes. not long. And then they decided to get Renaissance Renaissance back together. And Jane Ralph was uh, Keith's sister. Jane was the singer. Lewis and Armour was the bass, and John Hawking was the keyboard player. Um, and so. Uh, then it, when they did, they broke up, they I think they came over here and did some shows. Um, and when they broke up, they 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 were kind of it was a drastic change of different people, basically, um, uh, all together from the from the original band. And they brought in a singer called Binky Cullum. She was with them for about six months. And then she left, and that's when they were looking for somebody else, and that's when I got the job. Yes, and at that stage, because I did a, a couple of years ago, Miles Copeland brought his book out, and obviously, and I managed to get an interview with dear old Miles. He was your manager back in 71, 72, wasn't he? Yeah, he, was, he was my manager, and he was my boyfriend. Oh, was... boyfriend as well, right. That's... <laughs> Excellent. Well, he that's was such enough a... for a book. <laughs> Pardon? That's enough for a book, but I'm not going to write a book. Yeah, I'm no, but that, yes, 
because yeah. he was such a young kid at that stage, wasn't he? In the early seventies, I seem to remember he he also was managing Wishbone Ash, and he was he was was he in his late teens at that point, which seemed quite boggling. No, I don't think so. I think he was no, because I was twenty. So no, he was definitely same age, if not older than me. Right, I was about twenty three, twenty four when I joined Renaissance. Right, so he was, and and we had an agency called uh, the John Sherry Agency. Um, who was our agent first of all. And then um, Miles came into the picture a couple of years after that, or a year after that, bringing along Wishbone Ash, bringing that into the stable of, of musicians, you know. Um, and and then he, he liked what he saw and heard with Renaissance, and that's when he decided he was going to manage us. And Ed Bicknell was also in it. He brought Ed Bicknell in as well, I think. Or right. On, on, just... on which way around it was, I'm not sure. I just heard it. I remember him telling me a funny story about his next because I think when that fin that kind of chapter finished, he did a he did some project with Lou Reed. And I remember him saying that he was on the phone to Lou Reed saying, you, You've got this event. And someone said he's on the toilet or in the toilet. And he said, Well, that's fine, I'll wait. And he said, Yeah, but he's been there for about three days. I'm not sure if Lou's coming out of the toilet. So it was quite a funny little story. And obviously, you know, he tell he tells it very well. And then he kind of gives up music. Then he comes back and does his kind of punk stuff with his brother. And obviously, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, you know, it is. the police yeah. and then IRS records and REM. So obviously yeah. he has he has from prog rock to punk rock to REM. So yeah. it bounces, he bounces and then he buys the castle, and you could imagine he never goes. stops. Yeah, he never stops. <laughs> So that was quite an interesting because you're because that period of Renaissance, which is quite extraordinary, because because my brother was seven years older than me, so he was really into the prog rock world of Yes, Wishbone Ash, you know, Barclay James yes. Harvest, the solo work of Rick Wakeman. We loved it all, and I remember sneaking into his room and playing these records. And obviously, you know, prog was still quite at it in its kind of infancy at that point. But you brought in quite a lot of interest and elements. There was the Canterbury scene as well, wasn't it? So. Yes. Yeah. It was all blossoming. You know, you were there at the zeitgeist moment, weren't you, as, yeah, as it, it all was. started we to were, happen? We were the pioneers, really. And But then, I, you know, yeah. what was quite interesting was that during that period, most people have a five-year narrative. They get together, they have that single and album, things go well, they do the tour, the second album, a bit tricky, third album, you know, boof, it all goes exciting. But you, <laughs> your 70s was just extraordinary. It kept going up and up. Right, right through, didn't it? Until you had the yeah, massive... we were we were, were fortunate. I think the the, the combination of um, the people in the band at the time um, was, you know, it went until nineteen eighty. I think it was seventy nine eighty. Uh, from seventy, well, I joined seventy one. It was seventy three when we start when we got everybody more or less together that we needed wanted in the band. So, but yeah, the music got stronger and and different and uh, but still of, as good if not better in some ways you know it was it was amazing because yes. we got on very well you know great musicians Betty Thatcher was uh, the main songwriter with uh, the words and, and Michael Dunford but also um, the other guys as well you know Terry, Terry Sullivan wrote parts of some of the songs John Tamp absolutely John Camp as well so it was it was a good combination it we yeah, everything was good, and we had a good record company. I think the the kind of sad thing that I don't quite understand uh, why it didn't happen is that why we didn't record film Carnegie Hall or the Albert Hall. Right. So, yes. Uh, we recorded them, but we didn't film them, and everybody else was filming at the time. I remember Moody Blues were filming everything that they did. I don't know why that was. You know, obviously different management, different ideas. 
medicine or whatever but um yeah. Well, it's interesting because I mentioned, you know, Mr. Bowie, which who I loved. And luckily, you know, it could have been Gary Glitter, but luckily my first single was Space Oddity. But then, I mean, Bowie had sort of one album a year during the 70s. He, you know, produced a few others, he did world tours, did films. You you know, you were also virtually bringing out one album a year touring as well. What? How was that for you? Because, again, you know, this was, you know, quite, quite pioneering at this stage and sort of making so much music and being so much in the public kind of gaze as well how did you sort of cope as an artist and as a person um I, I loved it I I mean I, as far as my my voice I had to I really tried to be careful with it um because I've, I've got five octaves of you as you know but any I mean no, that's not particularly because I've got five octaves but for any singer really but I just remember that when I went to the opera singer who taught me all the different things that she you know she said that you have to do or, or to take care of yourself um because especially it was grueling actually so we did a 10-week tour which was the longest we did and I think we had a break for a week and I think that John Camp and Michael and myself went down to Florida and the other two guys went down went back to England um but uh, I, I I loved it. I I didn't. I, I don't. You know, looking back on it and and looking back at all the other music that was around, I didn't realize how different we were. Uh, you know, and and, and why we were we were popular because it was really great music. Yes. Um, and um, it was. You know, I, I'm proud of it. I I wish we could do it all over again. <laughs> I wouldn't change it. You can't change anything in your life. People, somebody said that the other day. What would you change? I would not change one thing yeah. in my life, or even the bad things, because I wouldn't be where I am now. This you know, and I'm, I'm a painter now. I might never have discovered I was a painter. I've gone in a different direction. I know. And I love as much as I love singing, so. But yeah, and I did work with Tony Visconti, as you probably know. Yes, dear old yeah. Tony. Yes, he's, he's yeah. the Mark Boland, David Bowie, sort yeah. of, and everybody else. So that was kind of extraordinary. I was just reading a, a book by John Hutchinson, who was with David Bowie in the late 60s when he was with Hermione Farringate or something right. like that. And um, yes, he talks about Tony Visconti because I think he was quite a young a young chap at that stage when they, yeah. they sort of started, which was quite interesting. It's interesting you talk about your vocal range because one of my favourite singers at that period was Millie Ripperton, who had oh, another yes, amazing voice. And when I used to hear that, I just was like, okay, I've got to hear more than just that single. And yeah. it was just magical. And then obviously we started getting other, there was a lot, there was yourself, there was Kay Bush, there was then people like Carol King and Joni Mitchell. So yeah. there was the, the songwriter and, and that kind of pastoral quality started to really develop during the 70s and, yeah. and sort of people wonderful really voices. You, you just said Kate Bush wonderful Joni Mitchell you know I I love Joan Baez before I started singing professionally I used to listen to Joan Baez all the time and then Joni Mitchell but I got to meet Joan Baez that was a twice yes. <laughs> and the first time I was recovering from breast cancer and um I went backstage. I still got my hair, but it was really short. And I, I took some flowers and she knew who I was. And I, that kind of freaked me out that she knew who I was, you know, because I was like, I was like tongue tied, you know. But what a voice. I mean, and you know it instantly, same as Joni Mitchell, you know, Kate Bush. Yes. It was a 
amazing time for voices. I mean, there's still some amazing voices out there now, you know. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's lovely to still sort of hear so many people. I must admit, I just went to the cinema to see the Taylor Swift film because I'd been just curious of what Taylor Swift was all about. And oh, she yes. did she did an amazing couple of albums during lockdown, which were quite folk acoustic. And I just thought they were stunning, actually, lyrically oh, and yes. musically. So, um, yes, good old. I, I, I'd sort of... Don't want to become one of those people who just goes, oh, there's no good music after, you know, 1987. You think, oh, no, that's so boring. (laughs) There's always good music being made. It's just perhaps one isn't quite so on the case. And that's absolutely fine as well. Going back to your, you know, the the 78 album, I know, A Song for All Seasons. When you went into the studio to start recording that, did you have a sense that there was something very special with the band had had the planet started to really sort of resonate and the the vibration with the band members start to sort of become quite amazing no i just think well we were always excited to get together and 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 and, and do the you know the new songs i i don't read music sometimes and mickey would play me the the, the original what he'd just written he said let's get together and i'll play you what i've done uh and and i said well is that's too high for me he said annie you got five octaves it's not too high for you. Because I used to say that, oh, no, no, I can't. Because it's just not a really high. And, of course, it's just the way you sing it. It's not just, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was funny like that. But, no, it was it was exciting to to hear the new music because we knew it was going to be good, you know. I mean, well, I remember when Mickey played me first Mother Russia and he did it with his guitar and he said, well, there's this bit here and this bit and then this bit comes in. I thought... How are you going to put all this together? And of course, then we used the orchestra, and then it was it was just phenomenal. It, it was very exciting. I yes. think we just we just felt that the next one was going to be better, and it was, until I think that that where the big mistake was when we we did Northern Lights, um, and I, but I have to say, Song for All Seasons that piece is one of my favourites, and also Mikhail Alkafet Aldefer. Alcafet, I can't I get his name wrong. The guy, the lead singer in um, Opeth. Oh yes, Mikhail. No. Yeah, that he, but we're, 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 he 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 praises the band. I met them in Philadelphia before their show. Took me for dinner, and I went to see them the next night. And I really enjoyed the show actually. And there was a lot of really strong, beautiful melodies in there. Um, but then they start growling, which is kind of different. But I mean, they've got a huge audience. Of people. <laughs> he loves that song, Song for All Seasons. He, 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 whenever he sees a copy of it, he buys it and gives it to his friends. The album. Yes. But, this is in- um, I was going to say, because I've done a few interviews with dear old Poe Albury, who was in, you know, did the hypnosis kind of uh, artwork labels. Sleep I just notes. posted him on Facebook. Have you? Yes. Yes, because this 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 new friend of mine um, said, um, "Did you know that um, the album by Pink Floyd called A Nice Pair? On the back of the cover, there's a picture of Storm, Storm Thorgerson, right? Who's yes. an amazing force of nature, wonderful man, uh, and sitting talking to, and he said, I think it's Poe sitting in a room with all the album covers all over the wall, and Ashes of Burning is on the floor." The, the covers right there, yeah, and, he, and he, I posted it a couple of days ago. Oh, Isn't that that's funny? A, it is and he, funny. And, he, and Poe took my the best, some of the best photos ever taken by me, and I and posted one of those as well. 
Yes, I, I've seen sort of quite a lot of photographs that he took. So that was that must have been also, I mean, not only working with, you know, great musicians, but also the art department and, you know, creating fantastic works for the, the sleeve note, uh, sleeves and also your your photographs must have been yeah. quite nice. I mean, as, as we progressed, I mean, one thing I did slightly notice, uh, having done a lot of interviews, that sometimes, you know, as a decade changes and we go into another one, a lot of times, and I know this, you know, I always keep on about David Bowie, but his 80s, he he had he sort of slightly struggled in the 80s period. And I noticed that with the band, you know, direction and sort of also the image of the band changes. And then, you know, obviously after 83, it's sort of, you call it a day. Did you find that transition quite tricky with the, you know, the new sound, the studios and sort of the direction? Yeah, that... yeah well, you know, we did Song for All Seasons and... um we Northern Lights is on there, isn't it? Yes, your classic. Um, we were like, I think it got to number seven, but it did get to seven, but they keep saying it's number 10. But any whatever, it was fantastic. We did top of the pops three times. And, um, but then, and, and, and the reason that helped, something that really helped that was my, my relationship with Roy Wood um, was for four years. And I learned a lot about music from him. And uh, when we were doing Northern Lights, he was thinking he was doing. He, he wasn't in the studio with us, but I, I was talking to him on the phone. And I said, "Well, we, we've, we've, and I think I might have played it to him." Um, I said, "But, but we got, we, we're not quite sure what to do with the vocals." He said, "Annie, he said you, you, you need to treble track, do a treble track for the main, you know." And that's what we did, and it completely changed. Just that two more voices on it completely changed the sound of it you know so that was a big help um and uh but after that there was a lot of pressure we got pressure from um people to to come up with more commercial stuff yes. and i i my gut said this is not a good idea because we had something that was so different you know with my the, my voice and why why are we going to start recording songs that other people can sing Yes, which is what happened. Um, we did a, we did as your door was the next one, I think, wasn't it? Um, David Henschel, who, who used to produce Genesis at one point, yeah, he, he produced it for us. But uh, I, 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 and I don't know. I, I just knew that we were going down the wrong track, and then um, it, it, it did okay, but not, not really, uh, not as much as not, nothing like the others. No, it's. Um... <laughs> I could feel it slipping away. And yeah. then we did timeline and camera, camera. And I thought, oh, God, can you beam me up, Scotty? You know, like, I, this isn't the, what we should be doing. It's and, and it wasn't. But a lot of people love those albums, but there's songs that anybody can sing, you know. Yes, it's, it is tricky to make those transitions. Sometimes it's just, I don't know, you know, I, I would not have a clue what, as an artist, what you could do to... Yeah to somehow surf through it and and sort of feel, yeah, that was, I think sometimes it's about having that, gen, you know, looking back and having that genuine, yes, we did exactly what we, our gut was saying. I suppose people like Neil Young has always had that, you know, I just follow yeah. that, that, that path that, that I feel's right. And I, I guess with some, sometimes it must be difficult when someone says, well, yeah, but try this producer and this studio and you think, oh no, that's not. Yeah, no, no, yeah. And that's when it all ch starts changing. But I mean, if we'd have stayed with song for all seasons, say, and 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 done another one that was more like that, but rather than just going into the you know, yes, uh, all the punk stuff and all, all yeah, and then, and then I I was on the cover with a denim jacket on, you know, that's not me. 
you know it's not me at all it's like oh where's my mum you know (laughs) yes this is this is true (laughs) what happened how do you navigate that next period then when when the band has has sort of decided that was it and then you have those kind of years of of yeah well we just I I don't know I just just all the feeling and everything went out of the band and then um Terry 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 left and then John Tout left and that was kind of sad and then of course that was that was the whole, you know, the five of us were gone, you know, there was three of us. And it, all that energy and camaraderie that we had, um, you know, every, and every, because people changed, there was to get older as well. So, you know, um, I mean, look at, yes, how long they stayed together. You know? Yes. And and some of their interests in personal dynamics. It's always oh, interesting. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're still there doing it, you know. They are, and there's probably two or three versions of the band, but that's yeah. always good, isn't it? Yes. I mean, you, you know, and I think it's good, you know. I mean, no one, no one sits down and has a plan to begin with. You just have to sort of respond to these situations when they happen, and um, I guess you. I do think your that best. that's what's different about a lot of the music today, though, that, that they don't sit down and plan it. You know what I mean? It's kind of they think it's going to happen like straight away, and they're going to be a, you know. Like people that go on to uh, crowdfunding sites, which we've done in the last few years because we've got our own orchestra now. Um, and uh, people go on there thinking that they're going to make a lot of money, but they don't realise that you have to have a base, a networking base yourself, uh, uh, you know, that, to spread it out to. And people go on there thinking people are going to come to them when they don't even know who they are. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes. <laughs> I know it's a tricky one. This is a very tricky one. Yeah. And how did you, because obviously these things kind of happen to us, you know, you you were diagnosed with breast cancer in sort of the early 90s and and those kind of moments where, you know, you're having scans and seeing the appointments at the hospital and seeing the surgeon. I mean, they're quite horrendous experiences. Well, the good, the the thing about that, that's where Tony Visconti comes into my life. He was in my life just before that. Um, and um, I was with my ex-husband Mark, um, and who uh, encouraged me to, you know, to carry on, you know, singing. But at that point, I'd got my solo band, um, and uh, but I got this idea one day. I thought, you know, I think I need to, I need to make something happen here. So I thought, if I write some um, like poems, uh, and then. Who can I? It's, it was like it was meant to happen. I, I'd, I'd met Tony in the past, uh, but never, never really worked with him. And so I contacted him. I said because I, I needed to get hold of Justin Haywood for that song uh, for my Epic album, and that's how we we started. I get, got in touch with him for, to get to Justin, and that's how we st- that started off. So I contacted him and said, Tony, I said I'm thinking of I'd like to put an album together. How do you fancy writing it with me? And that, and so, um, if I send you some some words, have a look at them and see what you think. And he got back and said, "Oh God, I'd love to do it." And that's how we started off writing together. And he produced the album "Blessing in Disguise," which is actually on part of his producers. Uh, the producer, the uh, gosh, it's a huge box set and everything, isn't it? It's just come out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's just come out, and it's on there. He chose "Blessing in Disguise" to be on that, which is fantastic. Yes. But, uh, so I uh, I found and then we so we did these demos and then all of a sudden I found I had breast cancer 
And so um, that was kind of devastating, but uh, I, I managed to very quickly think, right, well, it, 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 I've got to deal with it. And now I've got to look, I've got, I'm going to have chemotherapy for, for nine months. And we're like, November, I'm going to be okay and blah, blah, blah. I was looking ahead. Uh, like is it already gone and if anybody said to me you've got breast cancer I said no it was taken away when they operated on me it's gone so it's all that positive stuff all the time and watching lots of funny videos and all and movies all kinds of things to keep my which I'm pretty up anyway you know yes. so um so that was help and then uh what I did with Tony is that I'd go and get my chemotherapy and then the next day I'd drive up to New York and um, he had a, a he had an apartment. He had a house in in New York State, but he also had a flat in New York. And I could stay in the flat and record there as well. So I'd go up there the day after chemotherapy, feeling like shit. Excuse my French. And um, uh, and then as soon as we started performing and re recording, it was like wonderful. I remember I, I had a baseball cap on, and he hadn't seen me for several weeks, and I took it off, and I got nowhere. <laughs> But we still laughed and got through it, and I, and a fabulous album from it, you know. Yes, blessings. I was very fortunate. Yeah. Yes. Had you enjoyed the process of your previous solo album, which had, you know, the Angels Cry by Justin Hayward, and also Wishing on a Star and Moonlight Shadow, Mike Oldfield. Oh Did, yes. Was that a was that a nice experience? Did you enjoy oh, doing? Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, Larry Fast. I'd known Larry Fast, who produced it for many years. Actually, he was instrumental of me um doing uh, recording reaching out with the london symphony orchestra uh on the intergalactic touring band yes god uh, that's amazing yes there's nothing like I, a tour i think that's still one of like my, my top five songs i've ever sung in my life is reaching out and um so larry was instrumental of, 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 in getting that together for me and then we stayed friends over the years and then uh when at the epic i got the deal with epic um, they asked about producer and we got Larry in to do that. Um, and then um, I'd got, um, that's when I got, uh, when was it? 89, wasn't it? That's, yeah, that's I started, 80, yes. Yeah. You've done, you done yeah. Still Life in 85, which was... That's right. Oh, God, I love that album. Oh. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it, it was a, a great experience. Um, I... I just got through it by uh, through the cancer, just by I think music was the, one of the big the biggest things for me, really, and laughing and yes. not not worrying. I think you know, I mean, I I had a, a kind of a radical hard um, a treatment called Iridia, I think it was. It like go and get I sit down for like four hours while it went into my body and it looked like cranberry juice or something like that and horrible. But everybody there the the, the people you usually find in those kind of places that the atmosphere is wonderful. The, the people who, who work there, the nurses and the, the, you know, the doctors were fantastic. Yes, absolutely. It's like that in most, most hospitals. I'm very lucky where I am now. You know, it's just the, the, the care is fantastic. It is quite extraordinary. And then when you when you sort of kind of then navigate through the 90s, you start working and meeting lots of other musicians from other bands like Steve Howe, and that's where you met John as well, isn't it? So do, do you start sort of finding your sort of social circles expanding at this rate? Well, you know what? Um, it, it My social circles, in fact, uh -huh, that's a, an album that Billy Sherwood wrote. 
and and recorded. He had, I, I did a song called Social Circles for him. It's fabulous. Maybe you get a chance to hear it. Um, he just reminded me of it. Um, it, it was difficult uh, because I moved over here in 91, so I kind of left some of my roots behind. Um, um, and if, if I'd stayed in England, I probably would have done a lot more recording and, and working with, well, I don't know. Um, I, I moved over here and then I got and I started my solo band because, you know, Renaissance broke up basically. In, yes. I guess 1989 or whatever it was. Eight, um, when was it? 84, 85, six, six, I think. It's some somewhere around that time. Um, so I, I kind of lost touch with, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people and I probably would have carried on doing a lot more stuff and maybe a lot more solo stuff with some of the other artists that lived over there, you know, and Renaissance, if we stayed over there, we probably would have toured as well. I don't yes. know about, I don't know about since Brexit, cause I know it's pretty difficult to, to tour Europe and the cost and is pretty high now, but, um, yeah, I, I kind of, that, I, I really, I, I wouldn't change anything. I just I kind of regret a little bit that I I lost that 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 connection with everybody, you yes. know. And uh, I could have probably done a lot more, you know, uh, guests that guest things and everything. But yes, well, this is this is. I, I, might, I might never have started painting. I know. So the painting as well. This is um as a child. Were you a painter? Was that something that was in your consciousness? No, not really. Um, my dad was an amateur comedian singer, so that was in the family, you know, the comedic stuff, because I do tend to laugh a lot. And I love to make people laugh. And, and um, my dad had the voice of a tenor. Right. I was a little girl, but I know what his voice was like, and I just wish now that I'd have been old enough to do something with him. He was just a dad, did it for his, you know, it's two of them, Roy and Boy. And my brother Michael ended up as uh, being managed by Brian Epstein. You probably know that. Oh, yes, so, the Brian Epstein, yeah. yes. Yeah, so it's it's in the family most definitely, um, but um, no, uh, I, I I didn't really know I was going to be a singer. I went to art school to be a dress designer. A lot of people sang in 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 the school with guitars and stuff, but I didn't join in. I just I wasn't there at that point. Um, and then uh, a couple of years later, I worked, I did go up to London to be a dress designer, and that's a lot of stuff stolen by this company um called Winsmore they took me on um as a as a as a, um it was a, not an audition what do you call it um to see whether I was, yeah really like, yeah see if I was going to be good enough and gave me a big book blank pages and said just come up with that whatever you want so I did that for about two hours and they took the book in and then they said no sorry you, you didn't work out so and all then... they were ideas isn't that awful Broke my heart. Is... Why am I getting into this business? So, and then I go into the music business, <laughs> <laughs> which is full of happy. But I, I guess I could deal with it to a certain extent, you know. Yes. Obviously, but, uh, yeah, I, I I started late, as was, was twenty three, I think. Yeah, and with John, I mean, you met. Did you? Was the first time you met John or started working with? It was like the mid. Was that two thousand? No, no, no. But no, he joined Renaissance. Well, he didn't. Oh join. yes, yes, that's he right. Played with us in seventy-one or seventy-two. I'm quite sure. I could, I've got to look that up. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, it was it was seventy-one, and um, Reading and Festival. Then, and then he goes through about 
10 bands, doesn't he? Family, King Crimson, Mogul Roxy Music. Mogul Thrashed, I think. Yes, he was in there as well. He's right. I mean, it's just an amazing sort of body of work. And then his solo work starts in sort of two, um, 1980, Caught in the Crossfire. And this is where the box set. But then he, but then do you sort of help him in the mid O years, the 2000? Was this was his, was this his low point? Well, um, we, we first met at the, when he did those four shows for us, and then he was brilliant. Uh, he fitted perfectly. He had everything, everything that a star has. He looked great. He had the great, great songs. He couldn't do these songs, but he obviously had them at, at that point. But uh, he looked great. He, he had a, a great voice. His voice is, is what does it for me. Yes. Uh, uh, his bass playing and um, did four shows and then didn't, um, speak to him again until I, I I did a. Do you remember at the Classic Rock Society magazine? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and so um, they asked me if I'd like to do a column. So I had a column called Egg and Chips, Bread and Butter, and a Cup of Tea, <laughs> and um, th- that stems from you know being on the uh, at the Blue Boar in the middle of the night with all the same. Uh, you know, bands around us like Queen over there in the corner, all these different bands in there. That's where we'd all go for after the shows, you know. And and so that's why I named it that. And then I'd, I'd, I'd interview people and then I'd say, I'd like you to tell me something that you never told anybody else. So that was a lot of fun. And, and John was one of those. So, um, and of course, we knew each other from like way back then. And so after that, I was in Japan promoting my Epic Epic Records album came out on Virgin. Um, and um, apparently I was talking to the guy, uh, the, the uh, who, what do you call them? Producer? No, the, no, the guy at the record company. But, uh, oh, was, yes. And, and, and Asia came up and he said, oh, yeah, they're in Nagoya. And I said, oh, I'd love to say hello to John. Let's see if we can get him on the phone. So we called him up and I was on the phone for ages and uh, just catching up. It was lovely. And um, so many years had gone by. But any, and after that, the next time um, I really heard from John was um, when he contacted me to, he was with Jeff Downs and they were doing an Icon album. And right. he a song called In the End and he wanted me to sing the vocals on it. And so I did that actually with Larry Fast over here. We did it in his studio. And what a beautiful song. Have you heard the song? Yes, it's brilliant. Oh and that really, that that song was the catalyst of, uh, that's when I found out that he was having a, a very difficult time in England. And um, and it was basically, um, he did, it, 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 I don't think he was listening to anybody. He was just at, at a terrible state with his, you know, alcohol problem, which a lot of people knew about. I didn't know, and I'd never actually known anybody in my life that that was uh, was an alcoholic. Um, but anyway, I I, I found out, um, and which I didn't ask him. Somebody just said, "I want to tell you something, just in case you don't know," because I know you're speaking to John. That's how I found out. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, "Why? Well, I've got to go over there, and I've got to go and help." So yes. that's that's what I did. I, I ended up going over twice. It wasn't easy the first time. <laughs> Very difficult. Uh, to be with somebody going through that and um but we um i remember he, he, he we we're in his house i stayed there and he came down one morning or it was there and he said why don't we sing jerusalem together 
So we went in the dining room. We got a Steinway piano in there and he started playing Jerusalem. We sang it together. It was like, it was magical. It was almost yes. like it just kind of opened up heaven and all the angels came in that day. You know, it's unbelievable. And so it, yeah, I, I, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd done my job, came back, and then, I, and then found out that I'd, no, it didn't, didn't work. He didn't go into rehab, so I came back, went back, and, um, and the second time uh, we managed to do it, it was, um, you know, with help from uh, Martin Darvel. I don't know who Martin, um, his, his manager was there, uh, kind of by my side to help me along as well um, with certain things, and. Um, got him into rehab Blimey. and then he, and then he was and then he lived another 12 years and then he, unfortunately i think he got cancer didn't he yeah. yes he did and did that also did that period also help you did you did you mention um, that it, was that an important was, oh god it was it, it was uh, i was so upset i couldn't i couldn't paint for quite a while actually i was just it was just hard to see somebody go through something like that. But then when you're going through it with them as well, you know, like it was like it was hurting Martin, you know, probably maybe me a little bit more because I was, you know, the female, um, we have different emotions, but uh, it was difficult. I got home and I was, uh, uh, you know, I was very thankful that he'd got in, into rehab, but all the phone calls that we had together before leading up to that, I knew would never happen again because that need wasn't there. I'd already, I'd already done what I was supposed to do, but I missed that. It's kind of sad. That a lot of sadness there. But the, the main thing is, you know, they got Asia back together, and and he just went up and up and up from there. It was fantastic, unbelievable. Yes, that is an amazing. Then, yeah, thing. and I went to see a lady when I got back. It was a clairvoyant I've known for many, many years. Um, a very lovely lady, and and spot on with every everything she's ever said to me. And I just talked to her, and I said, I don't know why. I wonder why it was me. Why why it happened, and why 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 why? I mean, only only because I needed to go to get some strength from her, <clears throat> get my strength back. Yeah. And she, you were seraphims. You were to, you. You were in the angels' choir together. That's why your voices are so, your voices are different, and you were put you were in together in the set in the in in the angels' choir, and you were both seraphims. Wow! And so that kind of put every for me. That was it. All I needed to know was because I'm I'm that way. I'm, I'm I'm very open to a lot of things. If they're good, then they all I soak them all in. So. Um, I wrote a song with Michael Dunford, you know, who wrote me the Renaissance stuff, and I I wrote the wrote the words. It's called Blood Silver Light Moonlight, and oh. John and I and we sang it together. It's on our album um, Grandinale Vento, and um, yeah, Blood Silver Light Moonlight, and it's all about singing in the angels' choir. Wow, that's such an amazing story. That it's is just so... voices and piano. Yes, it's quite something. Did you feel a kind of an emotional shift when you got to that next part of the journey in your life with, you know, after John had gone through his rehab as well? Yeah, I think so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, and once I started painting again, I think that uh, the painting, my paintings were different. I couldn't paint for a while because I just didn't have it in me. I just yes. was drained a little bit, you know. And how did you 
did the did the sort of working with the band your painting and your other relationships did they get much more harmonious and have they sort of become you know vibrationally a little bit easier to work with um i think so i think that um i kind of help mellow me out a little bit um because i i am the um the box stops here with the band and everything you know we we, we um so i'm responsible um for for, for a lot of things but i, I it kind of it, it it kind of put everything into a different frame of mind for me just made me stronger but mellow mellower in some ways uh, uh, you know um instead of getting upset about things too quickly just trying to, to be calm because I'd just gone through hell and back you know and so I, why I can do anything now really um yes. no yeah it, it was it, it was a turning point in my life for sure and then obviously you know we I think one thing that I've also noticed is that um with the passing of time there isn't there's a kind of reflection and it's not always about just rose tinted sunglasses but people start to appreciate little bits of the past a bit more looking at it differently as well with a little bit of a lighter consciousness sometimes a bit more clear clarity because we're not taking so many we're not we're not drinking or taking drugs anymore and all that malarkey do you feel that people are really appreciating your early music as well as your latter music even more because of just taking that moment and thinking actually that was really special they were really you know special albums special songs I think more people are starting of course everything's growing and the way people I mean get expanding everywhere and every every single way of life and technology and everything and there's so many ways of now for people to hear things and and people I think are, are a look at a searching going back and it's like I think when you get older you tend to look at old when I paint sometimes I put old black and white movies on English ones so I like to go back because there's a different kind of emotions in in those kind of you know the old the old music you know for the for the movies the same as the old paintings and everything like that um but I think that uh, you know a lot of people now a lot of younger people are starting to look at the music from years ago they, 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 they're starting to look they, everything's oh there's so much there that they can see now and it's easier to find stuff do you know yes. what I mean you find anything can't you well you uh, can and when we were growing when I was growing up that um you might have heard of a band but you don't you couldn't necessarily go and listen to it because there was no you know record shops didn't necessarily have it you know the library might not have had it friends might not have had it so you sometimes had to to wait for years before you could actually get your hands on something that you thought I've been meaning to listen to this for years because I've kind of heard it's an interesting album so yes we didn't have that in, instant access which is both good and bad but sometimes it made you feel you know you would play the b-side just because you thought well i've just saved up 80 pence and it's taken me ages to do this so i'm going to play it to death i think that's why those songs are ingrained in our dna aren't they in our yeah. deep consciousness because you know they, they meant so much to us but i'm just also aware because there's so many of the those musicians and yourself from that period are still playing and still active you know it, it gives people the access to come and see it see the you know music live but also sort of be able to sort of access your back catalogues as well yes yeah and no, I think that's... that 
that so that's kind of kept scenes interestingly going and sort of creating kind of I've, I've enjoyed seeing things being re-evaluated and seeing reappraised and just giving a little bit more attention rather than just going oh that was that was good or that was bad yeah. but just you know analyzing stuff a bit more which I think is is good and the, and the work of your band has been just extraordinary hasn't it, over the decades I, I it's funny because there's a guy called um it's called the Daily Dog uh, he's a, an American guy and uh he's a classical composer himself he's a choir master um and uh he, he, intelligent man and he and he has he he, he was it about two years ago now i think and somebody said you've got to look at this guy because what he does is he, he plays some music that he's never heard before and then he critiques it and then he's sitting in the piano and you're like play a chord and go oh wow and then then so they were doing things i don't understand you know that song it's a great song that was written by jim mccarty actually right. i don't know that and um so he he uh, he uh, and it's on youtube and he uh, and then he never heard my voice before so uh, and then it, it, some of the ways you know some of the chords change in our, all our music really but particularly in the earlier stuff which is so brilliant changes into something that you know whoa you never think it would go there and this guy's so vocal and you know he's all ah, like this you know and then my voice comes in and he said oh oh god and that's live you know and all that kind <laughs> of thing and it's like it's brilliant yeah he's, he's a great guy and I think those kind of things that are on YouTube which when I first heard about it I thought I'm not gonna like this I don't I don't want to be glued to, to blah 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 but it's it's good networking. You know, yes. if you want to show something to somebody, go and watch this on YouTube and you can see. And it's great for the younger people and that all this stuff that they can, you know, find online now. Um, and then I saw him and then I, there was some other people that were doing the same thing and they were sitting there, younger people, younger than him, because I guess he's in his late 50s, 60s or whatever, these, these younger kids critiquing and just going, they, they've never heard anything like it, you know. Yes, I I, I wish I had to remember. There was another chap who's a very good pianist. And again, I saw him at the Theatre Royal and he's from America, but he also studies music and he would just analyse a song. Sometimes a song that I didn't particularly like, but then would pull it apart and say, the you know, this is an absolutely interesting or this is a bit of genius or this, this is actually not probably technically brilliant, but it works so well. I, I wish I'd remember his name. I have to... Try and send you a, a link to it because he does actually critique George Michael's Last Christmas, which is a song that I'm not keen on. But when he pulls it apart and then puts it together, you think, actually, that's so interesting. And again, you just appreciate it. I still not. It is because these people are, are just know music. I mean, I don't read or write music, but and it's fascinating to me. But some of the way, some of the ways that they describe it, the words that they use are so fabulous you know you think oh I never I would never have thought of that do you know to 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 describe that because well I guess because I don't read or write music but fascinating really yes absolutely that's that's been great for the younger kids to learn so recently you've done prog stock haven't you which was that was with my art with the art which was it was yeah and my friend Patrick Mraz played oh Patrick Mraz he was in yes we had solo works of Patrick yeah, and he was in Moody Blues, wasn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. He um, he was there. He's a, he and his wife are good friends of mine now. Yeah, over the years, um, and a, a lady I don't know if you know her, but it it, it would be good to t- look her up. She's called Rachel Flowers. 
Rachel Flowers. Oh. And she, she's a prodigy. She She's blind. She's been blind since she was, I think, three weeks or three months old. Right. And um, I knew about her. As somebody told me about, oh, Tom Brislin, who was in our band, who's now in Kansas, the band. So it, it, Renaissance has been also a stepping stone for these certain musicians over the years as well, which has been great, you know. Yes. But anyway, he told me about her because she did Progstock a few a couple of years back, and uh, Keith Emerson took her under his wing. And my God, she she if you go online and um, I'll find it, I, I'll, I'll take your email address and send it to you. Um, she does Tarkus. Um, I think it might be at Progstock. It might be there, but you've never seen anything like it in your life. And she writes and she never stops. And I got to meet her the first time at Progstock because she was playing there. And when as she was sitting there, um, she was constantly humming and and um, and recording things that were coming into her mind all the time. She she's met um, Stevie Wonder. Ray Charles, is, is, oh, she, when she was like four or five or something, she was playing. At, she's unbelievable. Wow. I'll have to Rachel Flowers music. I'll have to check oh, yes. that out. Yeah. And she started what she did. She she just writes and she sings. She plays saxophone. She plays piano. She plays guitar. She plays bass. She sings. Fantastic. She and she um, the, the writing, I was sitting next to Tom Brislin when she was on. And um, she's just done something just recently. Uh, she just got into jazz. Right. So she, she's recorded, the, she sang it there. Uh, uh, she just played it on the, the keyboard and she sang it. And almost like she was bringing somebody else's voice in from the 40s or something, like Nina Simone or somebody like that. Not trying to sound like anybody else, but that kind of... Um, experience in a voice right and she's 27 but she's wow. like, you know nina simone and um oh my god unbelievable and but the song that she wrote you know when you hear a song and you get it straight away you don't yeah. you know some you've got to keep playing over and over again to get it because it's not really catchy and then you get it straight away tom said she just wrote a standard you know we, we were like she's just uh, mesmerizing Fantastic. Well, look, that's, uh, yeah, do send me the, 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 oh, well, I'll have to give you my email. But um, just going back, just, well, going forward, what have you got planned for 2024? What's on your calendar and agenda for? Uh, we're going to do a, 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 finale, a, a, a farewell tour next October. Right. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's going to be time. It's just for me, it's, um, it's a lot of, um, um, the, the responsibility is very high, you know, to to get these tours together. I've got a, a great agent in New York, uh, but it, it's, you know, and I think it's time. <laughs> you know, I can't go on forever. No. Really. So will um, that be UK as well as North America or? Um, uh, no, it's it's going to be over here. I might be doing something in, in the UK as well, but I'm not sure yet. It's just uh, some ideas that have just come up. Right, but it wouldn't be with Renaissance because this is going to be the Renaissance, the final thing. Um, and um, uh, there's something else coming up that I can't mention either, which is going to be very interesting with another. It's another group of, of a choral group actually, but that's not definite yet. But it, it, it's probably going to happen. But I don't want, you know. Sometimes it's like showing you your your 
yes. the don't jinx of, it don't jinx it yeah don't go there yeah exactly so um i've got my christmas show coming up on the 16th of december uh where i play every year at the sellersville theater in sellersville pa it's a lovely little theater we have a great it's like it's like a variety show i would say actually yes <laughs> it's, it's 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 wonderful because I, I just everybody it's nearly always the same people that go because they love it so much you know we do traditional christmas songs and also some modern christmas songs as well Fantastic. It's, yeah. it's nice it's nice to acknowledge that the sun the sun the the sort of the the position of our time of year isn't it the solstice oh, the yes. and, and um, then um i did the last thing i did was this year was the john wetton um in August, that was this tribute concert. That was just phenomenal. Yes, that's and 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 the box set. I mean, I've only oh. seen the digital copy, but it is quite a work of art, isn't it? And oh um, my gosh, have you have you seen the the artwork? I've seen yes. Um, Sharon thankfully sent it, and it is stunning. And um, it must be such a nice thing for his family and fans and oh. friends to see it. It's what it's it's beautifully done. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I opened it up and it made me cry, thinking, "Wow, you know, that's amazing." <laughs> yes, well done, John, you know, it's <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Sometimes I get signs of things, you know, omens, good omens and things. But before I went over there to do the show, um, I sang in the end, which was the song that um, John wanted me to sing on. Um, before I went over um, and um, what was I going to say let's see um, the concert was... you were just talking about the concert and going over and singing his the song that um, yes towards the yeah. end of the set why is my brain gone we were so close there was some <laughs> I think there's so much rattling around in my head now, you know. Yes. What was the, what was the song that you sung at the end of the concert? In the end. In the end, right? Yes, that that's was the, the one that was the icon piece. Yeah, that's just so beautiful, and it's so weird because it's so, it's kind of a sad it's a sad song, really. In the yes. end, um, and he sounded sad sad when he was singing, um, but that was the catalyst that started me off realizing that i had to come up go over there and help him you know yes absolutely absolutely and, yeah so um what was i going to say about the the concert was just um oh it was wonderful uh, rick wakeman was there um i hadn't seen him for a few years to see all these people they hadn't seen for a while you know it was great jeff downs of course was there billy sherwood um uh, roger dean was of there, course. there. Um, Jerry Ewing, who's the, the guy who runs um, Prog Magazine, was there, and his sister. Well, a lot of people that uh, um, who else was there? I guess you do have a lot of history with these people, don't you? There's a, there's a I, lot. But... I, I, I do, that, but but I wish that you know if I hadn't moved over, as I said, to to get married. In fact, that's why I moved over because I met my my husband. At, my ex-husband and we were still friends luckily which is good yeah uh, um i just I, I i moved away from where everybody was 
basically. So I probably could have been doing more, uh, you know, session work with them or getting something else together. But I, when I moved over here, I took a chance. Really, I got my solo band, and and um, and that 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 did pretty well. We went to Japan. We went to Brazil. We recorded, you know, and yeah. I did my thing is in disguise album that might not have happened in England. So you know, there's all there's good things and bad things about it's, it. Yes, I know it's a tricky one, isn't it? But the main thing is, yes. Would you, have you seen a movie called Frequency? Frequency, no. It's um. Dennis Quaid. Is oh. in it and it's fabulous and it's it, and it starts off with the northern lights in the sky and it's in america and it starts off and all the northern lights are all over new jersey and it's cut it's 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 complicating all the people that have got the cb radios and things anything electronic it was messing everything up and it and what it did it started this thing of 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 these two people that got these cb radios one one that was in the future one was yeah. in the past and they and they connected oh it's brilliant oh wow it's because if you take something out of your life it, it, it you know uh well i won't tell you anymore because no, it's, but i will well, i will try and see you it will love it yeah because it said if you just take one person out of your life you know that you think you that you you know either family member or a friend or whatever um it changes everything it would it would change everything in, yes it, and before it and in future that's what it's all about it's fascinating oh gosh yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely is there is there a, just lastly i mean is there a, a go-to book that you have that you go read or an artwork that you sort of sometimes connect with at at sort of times of sort of searching or no. thinking about life no not really and i've never been a reader so uh, I, I guess I read at school, but um, yes, I, not like you know, I'd get some books and take them home and read them. I, I was never, I was never, I wasn't a tomboy uh, or anything like that. But I was, I just, I, 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 I was not interested in books really. Um, um, but what I do like to do, and I've gosh, I've done it so many times when I, you know, now that I can set up my computer in my studio and have, I, I like, I can either have music on, obviously, but sometimes I'm, I'm in quite a quiet piece and quiet when I'm painting, depends. Yes. But um, now I've got a, a Bose speaker up on the wall as, as well that I can have a bit louder, <laughs> you know, for my music to be louder. And um, I, I like to watch um, old British movies yes. when I'm painting in the background but my favorite one that i've i've seen it so many times but it, it seems to be comforting to me is um rebecca with oh, yes. um Laurence olivier and olivia de Havilland. i think is in it right rebecca oh, oh no it's not i don't think it's olivia de Havilland. it's um oh oh um, maybe it is I have a look. Oh, but, but it's fabulous. Uh, it's a, a wonderful movie. And I, uh, uh, David de Maurier, when I lived in Cornwall, she lived at the bottom of the road where I lived. It wasn't what well, it was. It wasn't the road of houses. It was like a country roads. And she was at the end of it in a place called Menabilly where she lived. Right. And that's where, that's where she wrote Rebecca in this beautiful big country house. Rebecca. Oh, it had Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine. Oh and my Alf, Alfred Hitchcock directed it. Yes, so it's, it's, it, and 
when I went back there to visit, I, when was it in the nineties? I went down to Cornwall to see Betty. Yes. And, um, she lived down in in Hale by St Ives, and on on the way back, I was with a friend, and I said, I want to stop off where we used to live, which was Paul Kerris. And um, many Billy was like Paul Kerris. You had to go down this really steep hill to get to it, and yes. and 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 it was a tiny little village. And we used to live at the top of the hill, so we had to walk all the way down, all the way back up. But when you're 13 or 14, it's okay, isn't it? You know. And so, but that road at the top, that was a winding road that led uh, probably one and a half miles, two miles to where Daphne de Morley lived. But she moved from there, and she moved opposite to where we were living. Uh, we lived in in this house, uh, and she lived opposite, in um, in a place called Kilmarth. And you could, and it was at the entrance with the roadway that went down to the beach. She was at the top, and you could just see the roof of the house as it was on a slope going down. And all the pirates used to come, and they had all these passages in the house underneath the house for the pirates. There's a lot of history in that. She wrote a book called The House on the Hill about that. Right. House. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I went. We went past. Uh, we went to where the house was. We parked. It's difficult to park because there's no. There was just a road, basically, country road. So we parked where we could, and then we we walked. We were right by where I used to live, and then opposite there was a gate, uh, and the, and a, a field of grass, and then the top of the house. And I was telling my friend, "Well, this is where Daphne de Maurier lived." And all of a sudden, this figure starts coming towards us from the house, and it was her. Daphne du Maurier, it was her. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, it was just crazy. Can you imagine? See, nice. it's like in Alfred Hitchcock or anybody like that, you know. And she 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 came up and she talked to us. Wow. She, yes. She and the, the grass was quite high. It was beautiful, actually. It was hadn't been cast, but it looked all like even. It was like a foot high, whatever. She walked across this figure. Yeah. That's... When I think about you know certain questions that people ask me when in an interview, then it takes me off on a tangent that's something that I'd forgotten about, or you know what I mean. It's, it makes God, I've got I've had an amazing life. And that, dear listener, is me in conversation with Annie Haslam talking about her life in music, art, and much more, and also talking about the box set by John Wheaton that's just come out, an eight CD box set plus her own life in Renaissance. I will give you the link to the website or her website, their website, in the notes below. This has been the C86 Show, David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.